We're in Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took, and he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, so he leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Uh, then they knew that it was he who had begged, uh, begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that what had happened to at what had happened to him. Now, as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together um, to them and uh, uh, then to the porch, to them in the porch, which is called Solomon, greatly amazed. So when they saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren, him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed." To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you 
in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Please join me in an opening uh, prayer before we uh, open God's word here together. Heavenly Father, Lord, your word is active and powerful. And Father, we thank you for that. Lord, you are a God who desires to communicate truth and life and light to all people. So, Father, as we come before your word this morning, uh, Father, may your message speak uh, to each of us through your messenger, the Holy Spirit. Father, may he take the words of this text, and Father, may he um, give us understanding. May he give us praise and worship for you as we look through here this morning. And Father, may we be guided and directed uh, by your word. Uh, Father, Just um, I just pray over... This time, as we worship you through your word, Father, that you would remove anything that would care to distract us this morning, um, that would filter out the message that you have to deliver to each of us this morning. And Father, may your word go forth clearly. Uh, May the Spirit speak. And Father, may we be transformed and changed continually into the image of your Son, as is your purpose. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been richly blessed uh, this summer as we've been going through Acts, um, blessed and challenged, and I hope you have as well, as we've been preaching through Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, and now we're moving on in to Acts chapter 3. And uh, it's a continuing narrative, right, of what God's doing through the Holy Spirit, bringing together and forming the early church, and instructive still to us here um, as we occupy time in a later day, beyond the early church. So, before diving right into chapter 3, realizing this is an ongoing narrative, I'd like to do a quick review of where, where we stand right now. What's occurred? Where were we in chapter 2? And what we saw from the preaching last week, in the latter part of chapter 2, verses 42 down to 47, was that the church has now formed. Right? The church, as we know it, begins to exist and take its form in its guidance and direction. It's been formed and it's filled with spirit-filled apostles and believers that are actively involved. Remember, it's a discipling church, it's a sharing church, it's a remembering church, and it's a praying church. And we saw those four things that the church was devoting themselves to at this time, here in chapter 2. And God blessed them richly. And it tells us, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, that these apostles did many signs and wonders. Review just a little. Let's go up to Acts 2, 43. So just a few verses up. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and many signs were done by the apostles. So as we move out of chapter 2 into chapter 3, and look here at verses 1 through 11, what we have is an account of one of those signs and wonders. Okay? So what we're seeing here in verse in chapter 3 happened many times. This isn't the first time or maybe the last time, and we'll see other signs and wonders that come along. Right? But this is a recorded sign and wonder, something the Holy Spirit was doing in and through this early church. So as we look at this account this morning, I don't want to focus on the miracle per se. It's important. We'll look at it. We'll understand it. We'll see how God brought it to pass. But let's not miss God's purpose in performing the miracle. 
The miracle isn't here just for us to wonder at and say, wow, look what God can do. God has a purpose in all that he does. So as we look at this miracle, at the first miracle recorded that the apostles did in the power of the Holy Spirit, let's look for God's purposes behind that. And what we'll find is they're not that different. In fact, they aren't at all different than what he purposed in the miracles that Christ did. So leading up into here, the apostles had seen many times Christ do miracles. Christ often did miracles. In fact, as he came off the Sermon on the Mount, one of the first things he did as he came down, he encountered a leper in Matthew 8, in in, uh, verses 1 through 4. And he healed that man. He took time. He talked. He interacted with that man after this time of teaching. And he gave that leper healing. And he told him, tell no one what I've done. He asked the man to keep the healing secret. We go on as we look through the account of Matthew, many healings of Christ. Again in chapter 9, he heals one with a palsy. And some of the principles we see in the miracles that God does is first, the physical healing that we see recorded in the pages of scripture is always tied in evidence of what spiritually has happened in the person. So as we come to this miracle this morning and looking at this interaction of Peter and John and this paralyzed man, let's keep that principle in mind that the physical healing that's done through the miracle is an outward evidence of the spiritual healing that happens inside that individual. Secondly, Christ's miracles were not to impress a crowd, but to impact lives. Christ wasn't looking to draw throngs to him in a matter of following him to see what was he going to do next. Right? He wasn't a traveling sideshow right, of miracles. That wasn't the intent. That wasn't what God was desiring. The miracles God did through Christ, right? The miracles that Christ worked were to impact people. They were to shape and to change lives. And the impact that God was looking for was to transform them and translate them from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Now where we sit, contextually, is after Pentecost, right? Christ is risen. He's no longer walking the earth performing miracles, But the Holy Spirit has now come after Pentecost and resides in these believers. And the Spirit will do nothing other than the will of the Father and the will of Christ, just as Christ did nothing other than the will of the Father. So now we see the Spirit at work through these disciples, through these apostles, doing the same things Christ was doing while he was here. It's the same, right? The Spirit and God and Christ all are one, that concept of Trinity. So this healing that we're going to see this morning caused great wonder. It caused great interest in the crowd and allowed Peter then to share the gospel to impact their lives. We see the same pattern repeating here. It's very purposeful as all acts of God are. God is a purposeful God. Let's look at Acts 2.23. Again, just backing up a little bit where we've been in Acts. And it's speaking here of Jesus, says, Him being delivered... By the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken by wicked hands and have crucified and slain. God was in control of all the events in and around the life of Christ. Another familiar verse that speaks of God being a purposeful God, purposeful God would be Romans 8.28. All things work together for the good, right? according to his purpose. And what's that purpose? To bring men to him and transform them into the image of Jesus Christ. And then finally, Ephesians 1.11. Turn to that, Ephesians 1.11. Speaking of God being a God of purpose. 
Ephesians 1.11. Ephesians 1.11 says, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance. Again, speaking of Christ. So in Christ also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinating according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will. So there in Ephesians 1.11 we see God has a purpose in all things. How different that is from us sometimes. Are we purposeful in all things? How many times do you catch yourself wondering, why did I just do that? Or, did I really just say that? That was really careless of me. Right? We aren't like God in many ways. But God never does that. He never looks at his word and says, why did I say that? Why, why is that in the scripture? Or why did I you know, motivate the Holy Spirit to, to have this happen or cause this to happen? Right? God, God doesn't. And you know, the closer we walk with God and the better we're led by God, the less often we'll have those moments in our lives as well where we wonder, why did I do that? Because God will guide us to do the things that are productive for him. So God is purposeful. He's got a plan, and he's got timing that he works together, brings together to work his plan. His plan and timing are to have his word, the gospel, bring men to him, bring them to a full and abundant eternal life. That's God's plan. That's his purpose. That's what he's working throughout history. That's what's in the pages of scripture in a big overview. So God has purpose in all he does. And that will be clear now as we turn our attentions to Acts chapter 3. Because what we're going to see is a blind man begging alms. But he will have his true need met in order to glorify God and spread the gospel. We're going to see a blind man begging for alms in verses 1 through 5. We're going to see Peter discern and Christ meet the man's true needs in verses 6 through 7. And we're going to see God getting the glory and this effect that it's going to have for God's purpose in the crowd. So we'll meet the man, we'll discern the needs and see how it's met in Christ, and we'll see God glorified for his purpose. So verses 1 through 5, let's read them. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. So the account of this miracle begins with two faithful men, Peter and John. They're going about the things that God's called them to do, about the things the early church was supposed to do. Right? We read earlier, they dedicated themselves to certain things, and one of those was prayer. And what we have here is, it's the ninth hour, which in Jerusalem was a time that the men of the city and the city would gather for a time of prayer. It's when the priest would go before the altar on behalf of the people, and they'd join in together here at this ninth hour at a time of prayer. So we see Peter and John just about what they're supposed to be doing, right? Obediently doing the next thing God has on their schedule, right? They're headed to the temple. They're headed to pray. But notice, 
because they are obediently following the Lord, they're available. They're available to him to use them. One of the prerequisites of being available to do something for the Lord is being about the thing he wants you to be doing. They are where he wants them to be. They're faithfully and obediently connected to him, right? They've been in this church, right, where they've done these four things, right? They've been discipling. They've been about that work of the Lord. They've been about sharing. They've been about remembering the Lord's death, and they've been about prayer. They are fully prepared, ready for what the Lord wants to bring across their path at any time. And notice, I don't see any evidence here that they're acting in their own initiative, right? They didn't look at each other this morning and say, hey, this would be a great day to head on down to the temple and let's do a miracle because I think that will lead to great church growth. All right, let's go stir things up at the temple today, see what happens. And I think, you know, we, we had 3,000 come in. We, we need a couple thousand more in this church. Right? They aren't acting in their own accord. They aren't devising their own plans and schemes. Now, there's nothing wrong with us making our plans, right? The scripture says man makes his plans. But God directs our paths. But we want our plans to coincide with God's plans. Then we're walking on the same path, and the direction is gentle, right? A gentle directing and guiding. So here they are, walking with God, doing the next thing he's called them to do. Very ordinary day in the life of these apostles. So now we're going to meet the man in need, the lame man. And notice, he's about his daily business as well. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. He's being brought down to the temple, to the beautiful gate, where many people are going to come through, as was his daily and normal custom. It says here he was carried down there daily. He was lame from birth. He had no way of taking care of himself, no way for providing for himself, so he relied on the kindness of others. And what a better, more opportune time and place to have those financial needs met than a time when most all the city was passing through the gate to come in to worship. So he was, again, about the normal things that he would have in that day. But on this day, God decided it wasn't going to be just a normal day for Peter, John, or for this man, because God's had a purpose here. Reading in other texts, uh, the King James doesn't bring this out quite as much. Actually, what's happening here is the man and Peter and John are arriving at the same time. Okay? They're walking up into the gate. He's being brought in. So he, he hasn't been sitting there a long time. He's still arriving, still coming to his spot as they're, they're walking together. So God's bringing you know, these two groups, this one group and this one man, into an intersection. And as likely was this beggar's custom... He did what he needed to do, right? He began his work, calling out, right? And God puts his attention on Peter and John. And he says, and he calls to them. Might not have called them by name, we don't see that. But it's clear his call is directed at them. And he's asking for them for an alm, right? For a gift of money to relieve his need. Made me think, needs don't always come at the most convenient time nor do they come in the prettiest of packages. Right? So here they are. They're walking along. We would assume, you know, beginning to focus themselves towards prayer that's coming. 
Maybe before the Lord saying, Lord, what would you have us do? Maybe having a discourse about things the Lord's doing in the church, enjoying each other's company, walking into this gate. And here in the middle of this pleasant walk and discourse comes a call, right? From this man being carried up, interrupts their thoughts, interrupts their day, where they think they're going, what they think they're doing. And as they turn and look, this man probably doesn't look very pleasant. He's a beggar. His means are very meager. His cleanliness is probably not the best. Right? So here's this need calling to them. What are their possible responses? What are our possible responses when a need comes across our path? We can ignore it. Right? Pretend not to hear. Avoid it. We can put it off. Well, he'll be there when we come back out of the temple. I'll take care of him then. I'm pretty focused. We're having a good conversation. I want to get on in and worship. Right? I'll take care of that when we come back out. He'll still be there. He's always here. I can do it tomorrow. Right? He's here every day. Right? That man's been here every day for 40 years of his life. I can wait. They could dump and run. And I got a couple, couple shekels in my pocket. Throw it in. That'll quiet him down and we can, we can get on with our day. They had those options available to them. And I don't think they're very far-fetched. First, I think I relate to some of those options that come through my mind when a need comes across my path. But also, they've got a track record. They've got a history. These are the same apostles that on several occasions turned people away that were seeking to see Jesus. Right? People would come to see Jesus, and at times we can see in the scriptures the apostles would say, no, no, stay back, he's tired, he's too busy, not a convenient time. Come back later, he'll be here, he needs a little rest, we'll get to you in a minute. We see that happening with the apostles. In fact, when we look at Matthew 19.14, it says they even turned the little children away from Christ, saying he's too busy to interact with you right now. And what did Christ say? He said, let the little children come. He was teaching them. He was training them. So they do have a track record of wanting to put the need off and to set it aside. But in verses 4 and 5, what do they do? Peter, fastening his eyes upon him, what John said, look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Something's happened. Pentecost has happened. Right? These apostles that before were walking with Jesus right, needed Jesus to model all this and tell them all this and show them all this because they were operating in the flesh. Right? They were operating on what seemed best to them. But we've had Pentecost now. The Holy Spirit has come and it indwells them. And now when this need comes, they don't need someone to tell them what to do. They know what to do because the Spirit indwelling is telling them what to do. They don't need a voice from outside. And praise God here, they listen to the Spirit. And instead of blowing by this guy, they turn their attention on him. Right? And look upon him with compassion. They stop. They look. They ask him to look their direction. How different this probably was for that man sitting at the gate. This was not standard MO probably at the temple gate. Right? People either ignored or dropped a few shekels in and moved along their way. They arrested his attention as well. Something different is happening here, and the Holy Spirit is stirring it and causing it to happen.
So in these opening five verses, we see Peter and John become aware of a need and be completely available to what the Holy Spirit would have them do to meet that need. So the question before we move on through the scriptures is to ask, am I where God wants me to be? Am I about doing what God wants me to do? Is that a regular pattern in my life? Am I asking him? Am I inquiring? Am I choosing? Does that come across my screen? Is Do I desire to do what God wants me to do? Church, are we available to him? Are we available to hear the call like Peter and John did? And I think some evidence of that would be in how we respond to need. How do we respond? Do we ignore it? Are we too stressed? Do we avoid it? I don't want to get involved in that mess right now. Or do we look upon the need with compassion? Asking what God would have us do to meet that need. So what's the outcome of these faithful servants' obedient, compassionate approach to this beggar? We see it in verses 6 and 7. Peter says to the man, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. The true need here wasn't money, right? The man had a perceived need. He perceived he needed alms. I need to make, I need to be able to go to the market and get some food or have someone do that for me. Obviously, he was lame. I need means. But Peter, being alerted by the Holy Spirit, discerned the true need that this man had. And the true need was for Peter's compassion to stir this man to accept the power and the authority of Jesus Christ in his life. This should sound familiar to us. We've got the Holy Spirit here at work through Peter, and the Spirit's going to do what Christ did. Turn with me to John 4, 13 through 15. John 4, 13 through 15. We see Jesus in a discourse with the woman at the well. Did she have a need? She had a perceived need. Her perceived need was a jug full of water. A jug full of water. Did Christ see another need that she had? Let's read. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. Speaking of the water she was looking for. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water I shall give him shall be to him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And Christ then eventually walks her through a better understanding of the water he's talking about. But you see the reflection of what Christ did to what the Holy Spirit is now doing. Right, is taking someone with a physical need and saying, no, let's, let's bridge that physical need now over to 
your spiritual need. So the work of Christ now is being carried out through the Holy Spirit, working through the believers, in folks that carries and holds today. If something's going to be done for Christ, where is it going to be done? Through the Holy Spirit, working through the lives of believers. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. So instead of the temporary monetary gain, Peter offers this man what he truly needs in life, a relationship with Christ and the freedom that that brings. We see Peter says to him, What I have, I give thee. What Peter is really saying here, as you parse it out and expand it out a little bit, Peter is saying, what I have been given and what I am filled with, I offer to you. What I have been given and what I have been filled with, I offer now to you. That's that spring of living water. Flowing up out of Peter in an abundance. Coming on to this man now. It's an offer for true healing behind, beyond the physical needs that can come only in the name of Jesus. What he offers to this man is salvation. He calls this man to faith in Jesus Christ. Church, the gospel, God's word, it's all we have to offer to each other. It's all we have to offer to anyone. We need to be so full of it that it wells up and it comes out and we offer it. Because our thoughts, our opinions, our advice, our plans, they're only effective if they align with God's will and God's word. Faithful, prepared, spirit-led Peter and John are now ready to speak the word of God to this man. Well, just as Peter and John had some possible responses, this man has some possible responses here. He could be distracted by his cares of the world. He could doubt the power of Jesus to heal him. He could wallow in despair of having been crippled for 40 years. He could express bitterness at being passed over by Jesus. You know, it came out this morning. Where was this man customarily? for the 40 years of his life. We found out later in the text he was 40 years old. He was at the gate beautiful in front of the temple. Think Jesus ever passed through that gate? That man was there daily. We have record of Jesus going in and out of the temple on a regular basis. Jesus passed this man by. Maybe this man heard of other healings and works that Jesus had done. And he began to either question the power of Jesus to heal him specifically or does Jesus not care about me? Am I set aside? Am I of no use, of no worth? Am I going to be here begging all the days of my life? Because the Savior's come. He's gone. He's passed me by and he's now gone. There's no evidence of him anymore. There's lots of ways this man could have responded. So Paul, though, faithfully casts out the seed of the gospel. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He puts the gospel before this man. And based on his current perceived need, or on his past experience, that seed could have fallen on hard, rocky ground. His heart could be hard 
about that name of Jesus. Why did Jesus not save me? Or his heart could have been full of weeds, cares of the world that would have choked out this seed that falls upon it. But God had prepared this to be good soil and good seed for the word to fall upon. Because we see this man respond in faith as Peter raises him to his feet in verse 7, what begins to occur? He begins to mend. He begins to heal. His physical healing is immediate and complete. Now remember, though far more is happening here than physical healing, there's a spiritual work going on inside the man as well. His spiritual healing is just as instantaneous and just as complete as his physical healing. He is now in Christ, fully in Christ. So as we go about our day, what do we offer those? What do we offer people that are in need? Come to us with a question and with a need. Do we know the word well enough to offer them that? Or do we settle for platitudes and our own thoughts and our own plans? Why would we be hesitant? Why would we be hesitant? Because again, we have nothing to offer in ourselves to those who are lame in this world. The only thing of value we can give them is the word of God. So we've seen the need discerned by Peter, and we've seen the Holy Spirit, through Peter, meet that need in this man's life. So when we do that, when someone gives God's word and another accepts it, what's the outcome? What happens? Let's look in verses 8 through 11 as we continue on. And he, leaping up, and stood, and walked, and entered with them into the temple, walking, and leaping, and praising God. Here we see the evidence of this spiritual transformation in the man. Peter told the man he was healed, and the man now begins to act confidently in faith, right? He's acting differently than he acted before. I found it very interesting. He didn't ease up. He didn't, you know, kind of carefully and gingerly pull himself up. He leapt up. He took God at his word I'm healed, I'm a new man. Things are not like they used to be. I'm going to leap up. I'm going to take God at his word and I'm going to act upon it. His response to his healing was a confidence in the work of God in his life. And that then leads to gratefulness to the Lord who has restored him. Look, he goes on. He was leaping and praising God in verse 8. You know, those of us here who are believers, we've been healed spiritually just as fully as this man was healed physically in the name of Christ. In Christ, do we have an equal confidence to this man? He leapt up, didn't gingerly or tenderly, didn't ask for a crutch to kind of go along. He leapt up, started praising the Lord, leaping, and went on into the temple with them. No hesitation on his part. 
church, believers, we need to have the equal confidence in the promises of God in our lives. And there should be tangible evidence of it. Now, there are many promises of God, but let's think about a couple before we move on. Christ says we are free from sin, Romans 6, 6 to 11. If we are in Christ, we are made free from sin. Do we live that? Do we act confidently in that? Or do we think, oh, I've got this besetting sin. It's just, I'm never going to get over this. This is never going to stop in my life. No. We have victory in Christ. Let's take him at his word and go forward confidently. Don't wallow in it anymore. How about, I will never leave you or forsake you. Do we believe that? Do we live our lives like we believe that? Or do we get blue and say, well, yeah, God just doesn't understand, or God's forgotten about me, or God doesn't care about me anymore, or I've done X or Y, so God's going to set me aside. He doesn't want anything to do with me anymore. No, no. The word says, I will never leave you or forsake you. How about Romans 8.28? I will work all things for your good. Do we live like that? I think, you know, Steve gave a great example last week. Of, you know, in, our, in prayers, when someone's sick, you know, has an illness and might be dying, certainly we want to pray for their recovery. But if we believe God is working all things through good, also our prayer should contain, God, work your good purpose. You know, if, if Brother Joe, I think we called him Joe last week, you know, is going to die... Let him do it well, that you might be glorified. Because we know you are working all things together for good. He promises us eternal security. John 10, 28 through 29. No man shall ever pluck you out of my hand. Do we live that way? Do we have that confidence to go about serving him, knowing that man cannot pull us away when we are in Christ? He wants us openly and confidently to live like the promises of God are true. So what's the outworking? This man takes this bold, leaping, act of faith. He's praising, shouting praises to God. What does it do? Verse 9. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was him which was begging for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at that what had happened unto him. This man, acting confidently, praising the Lord, moving forward in faith, others notice. There's a wonder, there's an amazement. Hey, something's different here. Something's changed. He used to be there in the dirt. He's now here in the temple, praising the Lord with us. Something has changed. And there were many people, remember, gathered for prayer. This was no small crowd. This was a large crowd that had gathered. And they all knew his situation. And I wonder how many might have thought they were seeing a fulfillment of a prophecy. Because remember, this is not that long after Christ's crucifixion. And there's been a lot of talk in the community about the kingdom of God and the coming of Christ and the Messiah. This is only, you know, 40 plus days 
Right? Christ was with them 40, then they waited a couple weeks, so you know, 60 to 80 days maybe from when the whole stir, right? Christ's triumphant entry, the Messiah is here, praising the Lord. So these things would still be on their mind. And what they just saw in front of them was a fulfillment of what the prophet Isaiah said concerning the kingdom of God. Isaiah 35, 6 says, Then shall the lame man leap as a heart. Maybe they're tying the pieces here together. There's still something happening. It didn't end with Jesus' crucifixion. Right? That this man that was lame, leaping in their midst, would bring to mind the kingdom of God, the promises of the prophet Isaiah. And this drew them then to further seek out what was happening here, just as God had purposed. Right? We're back to God's purpose. Right? Let's not get lost again in the miracle. Just as God has purposed, what happens? They gather around John and Peter at Solomon's porch. Look at verse 11. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. So have you, perfectly, have you personally experienced the complete healing that comes from God? You know, I've been talking about complete healing today, and maybe that's not connecting for you. What's this spiritual healing? What's this new thing we're talking, or this new birth, or this change, this interchange that we're talking about? It comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And we'd be remiss this morning if we don't think about that. Have you personally experienced this wonderful spiritual healing inside you that comes as we see in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Have you placed your faith in him and him alone for your salvation? Is your confidence in his finished work on the cross on your behalf? Or are you trusting in yourself in some way? And are you now, can you say, I'm changed, I'm dedicated, I'm available to what the Lord would do in and through my life. Folks, it starts there. If I have anything to offer you this morning from the word of God, it's his offer of salvation to those who will realize their sinful state before a just and righteous God, but also realize that he in tender compassion and mercy sent his son as the complete and full and total payment for your sins, for any sins. In that placing your faith in that son, in his finished work for you, translates you from walking as a child of darkness in the way of the world and coming judgment. Through the work of Christ alone, you now are eternally secure, walking a life of light and life in and through the indwelling Holy Spirit. If you have a fuzziness about that, if you have an uncertainty about that in any manner, shape, or form, please, delay no longer. Find someone. I'd be glad to talk to you, Steve, Ralph, the men here, a woman here, find a believer here 
who can sit and open this word and give you that assurance that you've been changed, that you've been healed. So this morning, if you can say, yes, I've experienced that healing. Believer, are you confident that God has healed you and will keep all his promises to you? Are you resting on his promises and walking in them each day? Can you recount some? Can you tell somebody a promise of God that he's made, that he will keep? Does his work on your behalf cause you to praise him? Do you see his hands and his fingerprints in your life and praise him for that? Do others wonder at the amazing works of God in your life? Does anyone ever ask you anything? Is there a difference? Is there a life? Is there a light? Is there something that causes someone to wonder? Have a little bit of amazement at what's going on. So the response to God's miraculous work in our lives is to praise him. To have a praise that causes others to wonder. Because God purposely uses that praise and that wonder for his purpose. So as we conclude, let's take one more look at God's purpose. So in this section of Acts chapter 3, we see God purposely orchestrating events of these men's daily lives so he's glorified and praised for a miraculous healing of this lame man. We see that God waited to heal this man at just the moment he had planned and intended. Remember, back to Christ walking by this man. God didn't have a lack of compassion for this man. Christ didn't have a lack of love for this man. But it was God's purpose for this man to wait just a little longer. Just maybe a few more days from the last time he had seen Jesus. So God is working his plan in his perfect timing. God causes Peter and John and this man to all intersect together at the beautiful gate of the temple. God had Peter and John available and ready to be guided by action of the Holy Spirit. The man was led to respond in faith. And the result was an overflowing of his praise in the crowded temple and it opened the door for Peter to again preach the gospel. Remember back to Pentecost and the tongues came? Right, what happened? Stirred up amazement, stirred up wonder, right? The crowd, what's going on? How are these people speaking in these other languages that we can hear? And it brought eager listeners then to hear the gospel, right? Peter preached to them and 3,000 were saved that day as he put the gospel forward in front of this crowd that was primed, right? God had worked events to make them ready and willing and excited to hear the gospel. Has not the same thing just happened here again? Hasn't the Holy Spirit worked the same thing now through these apostles that he now indwells? God had a purpose in this miracle. The healing of this man brought a crowd to Peter to hear him preach. We're going to sneak a peek at next week and let's look at verse 12. And when Peter saw it, he answered the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us? as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man walk. I think he's thinking about Isaiah 35 here as well, right? Why is this a wonder to you? The kingdom of God is at hand, right? The lame are going to leap. And then 
Continuing on down in through in verse 26, he again preaches the gospel to a large crowd of eager, eager listeners. And we see in Acts 4.4 that thousands more were added to that church that day. Right? God had worked up the fertile ground, the seed fell on it, and thousands again were converted and added to the church that day. God has a purpose in all that he does. It's to draw people to hear the gospel of his salvation and then to walk in it, to live it out, to share it with each other, to encourage each other, much as the early church we saw was doing and the things that they did in discipling and remembering and praying and sharing with each other. So this section of scripture reveals our purposeful God. It's a miracle with an eternal impact. The same God also has perfect timing and perfect purpose in his dealings with us today. We need to develop the practice of asking God, what's your purpose in this? Right? When something comes across our path, right, our first question should be, God, what's your purpose in this? How is this part of your purpose? And how do I work with you in this? He desires his Holy Spirit to work through us, the believers, to spread his word. So as we close... Let us consider, are we faithfully surrendered to have the Holy Spirit work through us for God's purpose of eternally impacting lives? Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that you are a God who is purposeful. And Father, your purpose is that man might come to know your Son is their salvation. And in knowing your son, that they might live lives according to your word that are free, full of life and light, service to you, that brings you glory and honor, that others might wonder and amaze and hear your word, that your word might spread. Father, that at the fullness of time, when you determine that time is. Father, there'll be many believers, Father, gathered there before you and pray eternally. Father, I pray for those gathered here. And Father, if there's one that's of a halting opinion about their personal salvation, Father, I pray that you would do your spirit Help them cast aside, like this man did today, any distractions, any concerns, any ill thoughts planted by the enemy, that they would set those aside and they could read. Father, I also pray for those who are gathered here who are believers in your name. Father, that we would walk lives committed to you fully knowing your eternal purpose, fully reliant on your sure promises, Father, that you might be praised and glorified, and Father, that others might see you and be drawn to you. Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.